0: On this episode, we recap another crazy week in college hoops, FS1 goes live, Sylvia D'Souza is playing again, Josh Pastner files a defamation lawsuit, Calipari fires back at the media, and we welcome coach Martin Bahar from USC Fighting Trojans. Give me that green light.
1: Give me the green light, give me just
0: one night, I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now go. I'm ready to go right now I'm ready to go right now Welcome everybody to the Green Light Podcast episode 12 It is Ian and Paul live from Bedford Stuyvesant, the live
2: one Hey! What's up? How you guys doing? We are we are here. We are back. We are cold. We are back. We are
0: so back. We are getting Doug back. Name Maybe. that movie. I'll uh, send you a free t-shirt. Tweet it at us. Um, all right. We're, uh, we're live from Brooklyn. We're watching the Dukies and the Hurricanes duke it out right now. Duke's actually losing. But we have no time for that. All right. First recap that we want to get to. Nova is the best team in the country by far. By far, um, we have talked a lot this year about there hasn't been a clear, clear runaway favorite. I still tend to agree with that, just because I think there's probably three to four teams that may vie for that by the end of the year. But it certainly seems that Villanova is the best. Um, I
2: had, I didn't have the chance to like sit down and actually like watch, like really dive into Villanova until the Xavier game on Wednesday, and at every single position, at every single like point in the game. I just felt like, and Xavier, I think is a great team, but I feel like they just like manhand them. Mikael Bridges is one of the top, probably top 10 players in the country. Jalen Brunson, I'd put probably second best point guard maybe behind Trey Young right now. Like, I, I think people don't realize how good Jalen Brunson's been over the past three years. Every single position across the floor, they're so big, they're so long. They guard, they can score in a ton of different ways. Like Dante DiVincenzo, like, who thought I didn't see him being like this much of an impact player? <laughs> no, I mean, but they get guys in a ton of different situations. Um, like right now, Jalen Brunson, Mikel Bridges are both top ten in the uh, Ken Palm Player of the Year standings. So you have two guys that are producing like that for you.
0: Like they had, like like you just mentioned, they had five guys scoring double figures. That is almost impossible to mm-hmm. uh, to stop. And then they held Xavier to sixty five points. Yeah. So when you got guys in every position that can score and you can play some sort of defense where people aren't, you know, I mean that's like Duke's big problem. It's like yeah. they,
2: they'll go score a hundred, they'll give a hundred ten. Um, you know, Nova, good lord, Dude, they're legit. And obviously Jay Wright's an incredible coach. I mean they're they're sixteen and one right now. Their only loss was at Butler and Hinkle. They did have a tight one against St. John's um, in the garden the other day. I didn't get to watch any of that. I know that was close, but I mean. Their next, their upcoming schedule. They go at Georgetown, at UConn, a little non-conference. It seems like
1: Villanova likes, Villanova likes
2: Villanova doing this because Virginia played this time last year. Virginia played at Nova, and I went to it. It was like the in the one of the last weeks of January. Hmm. I think it's something they do to just mix up their schedule. Um, but they'll obviously have no problem there. They have Providence, Marquette. I mean. The Big East is very good. Um, and I'm sure they'll drop one, maybe two along the way. Sure, but yeah, I think they at this point I, they should be a shoe in for a one seed. I, I, I keep making these predictions, but I can't see enough to yeah, knock bargain, Villanova an injury off. And team. something
0: absolutely insane. Yeah, like they like uh, honestly, they probably should be the overall number one. They still have Seton Hall
2: twice, which will be good matchups. But, Xavier one more time. Yep, and and but Villanova, I mean, it is very just the eye test. The first time I actually got to sit down and watch 40 minutes of full Villanova basketball, I was. Was thoroughly impressed. Um, and, and I wish Virginia actually scrimmaged for Villanova before the season. No one knows the results of it. It was a secret scrimmage. I wish I could have seen what yeah, went down in that. Yeah. Because, and then also I wish they were playing right now because I think um, everyone kind of expected this Villanova. Virginia now sitting at number two. They've obviously developed into that. Yep. Um, but we'll see. Um, the number two team before that, um, before this week... That went down, moving the into the Big 12, West Virginia. Yes. West um, Virginia. Who hadn't lost. West Virginia hadn't lost since the first week, uh, first game of the season. They lost to Texas A&M. They had gone on a 15-game uh, winning streak and took a loss to to Texas Tech. Yep. Who, I don't know. I've I only gotten to watch Texas Tech a, a little bit this times. season. Yeah, I've only seen them a little bit. But they're sitting fifth in the Kempom. Their only loss is Seton Hall in Oklahoma. What Chris Beard has done with them is like is unbelievable to me. And
0: remember the Chris Beard story because he took UNLV. Yep. Everyone keeps forgetting that. He took the UNLV job, he was there for like three weeks and then was like, oh, you know what? You know what? I, I don't I don't know if I want this job anymore. And went back to Texas Tech. and And now it's kind of like all forgotten and it's fine the
2: story was he was an assistant there and i think his daughters lived in the area and was like this isn't the fit for me Mm -hmm. but what he's done i mean looking at last year i mean they were 18 and 14 last year the year before with tubby they were 19 and 13 and 13 19 so they're only like a couple years removed from i mean they haven't been incredible but what he's turned them into right now i mean they're firing on all cylinders and um, they were able to, to to squeak out a win by one over West Virginia so West Virginia takes a drop and I think I mean they're sitting right now in the in the big 12 um, the scary thing is the team, um, they're tied for
0: first right now. Huh? They're tied for first. Four way, four tie. tie with, is this the year Kansas doesn't win it? Dude, you know, I think everyone. Oh my ask god! This question, Please If, let if it you happen. ask this
2: question like a week or two ago, I think everyone says, "Oh yeah, Kansas." But now, dude, Kansas is four and one, and they're gonna play tonight against West Virginia. Yeah, right and,
0: after Duke, right? And,
2: yeah, and no. and so um, it's so hard to to make a prediction. Like, hey, nope, you can't count out Kansas. They, they, you never can count out Kansas. So no. um, yeah, Big Twelve
0: is legit. Big Twelve is very good.
2: Other games that that we checked out throughout the week, uh, moving over to the Big Ten. Um, I don't know if you got to see this one: Purdue over Michigan um, in Ann Arbor. Um, basically, came down to the wire. Michigan it was back and forth. Awesome game to watch. Um, Purdue has so many different ways of scoring. Um, I didn't hadn't really seen them a ton. I know obviously they have the huge guys, and they've got. Um, They've got Haas, and they've got another seven-footer, um, but Vincent Edwards and Dakota Mathias, two wingers that can score and defend a lot of different guys, which I think come tournament time, I know last year they had Biggie Swanigan, again. I think they were- you couldn't even say they were a better God, team so last year. Good. But they're playing. I mean, they've what, won 13, 13 in a row. They're sitting 6-0 and in the Big Ten. Um, got a very, very tough win at Michigan and then throttled Minnesota on uh, on, on Saturday. That was a tough um, one for our boy Billy. That was tough, man. It that was a really was... tough team. But I think that shows everyone said, oh, Purdue hadn't played anybody yet. But like, every team that they are playing, they're like handling pretty well. Like yep. They're handling pretty well. So I think at Purdue at this point... Um, is is legit? Um, no, they're very legit, and they actually got moved to number one in bracketology, which says something because Lenardi's
0: pretty damn good at that. Yeah. Um. But no, no, they're 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 there now. Like but, the the yeah. conversation is no longer is Purdue legit? No, you know because they were always hovering kind of outside that top ten range. Yep. It's they're a force, especially with um you know them beating them beating Michigan. The the Big Ten's, and then we talked about this either last episode or two episodes ago. The lack of like a clear number one in the conferences by the time we get to February, they're just gonna beat each other up. Like yeah. that's a perfect example of Purdue beating Michigan and then Michigan turning around and beating Michigan State. Yeah, which is and, like, what is happening?
2: And that's all. I mean, awesome win for for Michigan over Michigan State. I mean, going on the road to uh, to East Lansing and taking out uh, taking out Michigan State, responding from a tough home loss, and then going on the road and beating your uh, probably. I guess, those are your biggest rival, but at least on the basketball court, the toughest, one of the toughest teams they'll to play all season. Yeah. Um, right now, I mean, it looks like obviously Michigan will be in, uh, Michigan State will be in, Purdue will be in, Ohio State will be in most uh, likely. Well, and I'm not ready
0: to say Ohio State's in yet.
2: Really? I I mean, are they? Ohio Hang State. I mean, looking at this, Ohio State's 15 and four and six and zero in the Big Ten. So it's very tough for me to say with the schedule they have coming up. Uh, that they won't be able to beat like Northwestern, Nebraska, six Penn State. 0. They're 6-0. and 0. And so at this point, right now, I really need Minnesota to get it together. Um, because I think they they could be an awesome, awesome team. They've obviously had some trouble off the court and losing Reggie Lynch. But um, right now, I think it's only four definite teams get in at the Big Ten. Isn't right? that wild? That's how down the Big Ten is this year? Four, they'll get four teams in. I hope they get a fifth. But some of these other conferences, remember how we always talk about how good the SEC is, how good the Big Twelve is. Yeah, the, the other conferences the really are stepping up. So this year. I think, I mean, the one thing that helps the A10 is definitely down. The A10 looks like a one-two bid league. Uh, it's not going to get like a, t- a ton of guys in, but um, it's it's tough to see. I, it, Ohio State's done their job so far. I mean, you can't fault them. And Michigan's four and two, and I think this just goes to credit. They had a rocky start. I mean, they started. I remember, like seven and three in the beginning of December but um John belon, I think I' say he's the most underrated coaches, but I have so much respect him i'm Beeline. not
0: yeah i think I don't think he's underrated i think I he's, think he's under. i think he's maybe not me- you know maybe a little, but he's i think he's fairly rated no, and I think, I think, think the only rated. reason people don't talk about
2: him like that all the time is because you know he hasn't won one yet yeah um but going, at, my point for this is that Michigan. I didn't think Michigan was that great. I and mean, they brought back Mo Wagner. They had some talent, but I think what he's been able to do um, with the guys that they have and a lot of young guys um, is is pretty uh, pretty impressive. Show shout out to the blue. As um, we say
0: this, uh, Maryland is beating Michigan thirty six to thirty. So that would be a that would be a tough l to yeah, take.
2: Would not be uh, not be the most positive. Um, um, one thing we definitely want to talk about, and I'm so mad I didn't get to see this. Oh my god! We tweeted cool. about this. I saw it, and I was telling. Uh, I was telling Kelly, I was like, this is incredible. This it is going to be something else. But to awesome. start off, yes. you, you, so, you sum it up. So FS1
0: FS1 basically goes live um, from the coach's perspective. They have Coach Cooley mic'd up and Coach Leto mic'd up for the entire game, DePaul versus Providence, and no commercials besides halftime. And um, it was Len Elmore and some other guy that was officiating or not. I'm sorry, not officiating, but um, actually calling the game, but they only spoke every like couple minutes, and th- it was when there was like a downtime between the two coaches um, talking. So basically, these coaches were mic'd up, you got the entire game. There were swear words in there, there was cuss words, there was the classic coolie talking about vampires and nobody makes me bleed my own blood. I mean, I, I thought it was, I loved it. Um, you know, with how things are changing now, people are going to hopefully eventually be able to buy the content that they want to buy. And yeah. so instead of paying for ESPN and having a cable subscription, you're going to be able to say, no, I just want the 31 Duke games. I want the Virginia games. I want blah, 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 the Big East schedule, whatever it is. Um, but this is a new type of programming where I loved it. I are thought it was.
2: Are you surprised from being around Cooley, obviously working on for two years, knowing before that. Are you surprised that he agreed to do this?
0: So then so then my brain starts working because I did work for him. I think he would I think he probably thought it was a crazy idea but then embraced it. Um
2: because I couldn't believe that Dave Lato agreed to do well, this. Well, so he doesn't really, he doesn't say much.
0: You know, like he, yeah. like in the huddles, he does, but yeah. he's kind of one of those guys that's sitting there. He's let him, you know, he talks to his guys when they come off. But, you know, Cooley's the opposite. Cooley's yeah. talking the whole time. He's making jokes with the refs. Um, he's getting on his guys. You know, he's, he's, he's talking a yeah. lot. And so mm-hmm. he's the perfect guy to do it for. Um, I, I I overall I thought it was a huge success. I don't know what the ratings showed or whatever. I don't even know if they. Really I wish they publicized it more. Yeah, that's because, what I'm saying. That. I
2: think a lot of those Big East games just on FS1 get lost because because uh, ESPN just blows their like they they push their coverage out. You knew that Duke was playing Miami tonight. You know what? Yeah, here, yeah. But these F- FS1. There's so many great Big East games that I think unless you're tuned in, locked in, you're looking for that. You don't know it as a casual fan. So yeah, something like this, it kind of goes. Uh, um it, it goes unnoticed unless you're you're paying attention. So yeah um I I'm probably gonna have to go back and, and try and pull the tape of that and watch it myself this week because I wanna see because you're you you tweet it yourself. They if you're a video coordinator in the Big East and oh you're not god. snatching you every the single call, that's what you I mean, we at Ohio, like I would sit on our bench and literally just our one job is just to listen for the opposing team's calls. Like they're just handing this to you on a video handing loop. it to you. Like, all right, this is exactly what they call. This is a diagram in this situation with this personnel. It's all there.
0: Yep. So, it's all there. And there's um, two, there's and I, I said this when I was watching it: there's two types of coaches. There's one coach who would be like, Oh my god, we can't do this. They're gonna know our entire playbook, blah, blah, blah. Then there's the other coach that says Screw it, man. You still gotta guard us. You still gotta yeah. know the action. You still gotta be able to stop us and all that. Yep. I kinda lean more towards that, especially now in the season where like you're running the same stuff, like you're in the middle of um almost in the middle of, you know, your conference play. People know you. I I get it you know i mean people are going to be able to say i mean he was calling it out like yeah. power two and flex and all this stuff like people know now but overall i think it was a huge success did i hope they get see ripped more. into
2: did any like player get ripped into That was like almost uncomfortable like a casual <sighs> fan would feel uncomfortable watching that no
0: it was a pretty tame game in terms of that there was a couple swear words by leto that kind of got um, I could have told un- you that. Unbleep, yeah, like all I of could a have sudden, told you that. and my buddies were all texting me like, "Yo, we just said that for it." I was like, "I, know. I thought they were gonna," I thought it was gonna be on a delay and somebody was gonna block it. But anyway, I thought it was cool. Shout out to FS1. That was uh, good that was for very you, cool. FS1.
2: I've been impressed. I like your Big East coverage. Yeah, very cool.
0: Um, and now we are going to be welcomed by Martin Marty Bahar. He is the director of scouting at the USC Fighting Trojans. Without further ado, Marty. All right. We are now joined by Coach Martin Bahar, Marty. For people that know him best, or maybe Martin for, or Mart. I don't know. Who, what what is your name to people who know you best? <laughs> um,
1: I was. Uh, I grew up a
0: Marty. And hey. My
1: professional career has continued. It's you see more of Martin, but Mart Marty still
0: lingers. Marty's an endearing nickname, you know. It's a great name. Um, he your official title, and this is this is a great one: director of scouting at. The University of Southern California. How nice is it there right now?
1: Life's good. I actually got, I got promoted, uh, in September. So I'm actually an assistant coach now again. So, but life is good.
0: good. Are they going to update the website? Yeah, they got (laughs) it. Do we got to call your web developer? What the hell's going on, man?
1: Yeah. Well, no, it's all good. You know, it's, you're part of a great program and, um, it was under unfortunate circumstances, obviously, but we are—you uh, know—we're 13 and six right now. Got two huge home wins this past week, and now we head to the Oregon's this week. So,
0: looking forward to hopefully continuing our progress as the season goes. Listen, man, that was a company answer, and you're a company man, and I respect you. <laughs> um, so, Thank before you. we before we jump into USC and how amazing it is out there, and how you're so much smarter for moving to the West Coast. Um, let's bring it back to the East coast and talk a little bit about where you're from. And then we'll jump into Georgetown. Um, you obviously worked for him from, what was it? Oh, six to Oh nine.
1: Yeah. For coach Thompson, the third, 2006, 2009, uh, my first year there, we somehow made the final four with a huh. roster full of really good college players and a couple guys who lasted the NBA for 10 plus years. So it's been, it's been pretty, it
0: was a pretty fun memories back in my hometown coaching at Georgetown. And what's Coach Thompson like? I should say Coach Thompson the third, for I know Georgetown guys are very specific about that.
1: Sure, of course, yes, yeah, because there's multiple Thompsons <laughs> historically at Georgetown. Coach Thompson the third has a heart of gold, very cerebral coach. Obviously a Princeton alum, and he moved from Princeton to Georgetown. Did some great things at G Town, and um, you know uh, I was involved with the head coaching opportunity this past off season, and Coach Thompson helped me along through that during the interview process, and. He's just a great person. He has a great family, obviously a basketball family, but across the board, just a great family man and somebody I learned a lot from and truly respect and, you know, honestly miss. You you know, when you work with someone and you get close with them over the course of time, when you move along to, you know, not just greener pastures, but just different jobs, uh, you know, you miss some, You miss a lot of the good times that you had uh, during your stay, and I certainly feel that way about Georgetown and Coach Thompson third.
0: Before we um, talk about where you moved on to, um, where do you think Coach Thompson the Third ends up? Because he's too good of a coach to not be in this thing. Absolutely, you know, I uh, I wouldn't
1: be surprised to see him back at a high major job as soon as next off season. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him an NBA coach soon at some point too. I think the uh, there's possibilities for him. He's a great coach. Um, I think he's going to be particular and which job he looks at. But quite frankly, I don't know what his mindset is. We haven't really talked that much about that. So uh, he's someone who's a high-level coach. When you coach in the Final Four, um, you are a high-level elite coach, period. So you know, I look forward to seeing him on the sidelines. He does great TV work now for ESPN. I've caught a couple of his games he's done this year. And, um, I'm sure he's he's itching to get back on the sidelines, but on his terms and at the right place at the exact right time.
2: Definitely. No, that makes a ton of sense. And, and you already obviously mentioned, I mean, going to the Final Four that, that first year and, and obviously having a ton of talent. I know, obviously, Roy Hibbert and Jeff Green, the, the most notable guys. But in your, in your words, I mean, what made that team so special? What made that team kind of propel themselves to the Final Four? Um, whether it's from a player standpoint, coaching standpoint, what was uh, what stands out to you the most about that team? So with that oh six oh seven Georgetown team, what stands out the most
1: to me was that it was a locker room that was um, self-reliant, that policed itself. Jeff Green was a captain. Uh, John Wallace, who's one of the best point guards yep. I've ever been around, played overseas for a long time, is now on Patrick Ewing's staff at Georgetown. He was a point guard. He was a captain. Um, but the, the upperclassmen were incredible. You know, you talk about Patrick Ewing Jr. as a sixth man on that team, transferred from Indiana— Came back to Georgetown where his dad was a star and Patrick Ewing Jr. played in the NBA. He was our sixth man. I mean, he was tremendous for us in terms of being an energy player. Roy Hibbert, obviously, his career and his at Georgetown in the NBA speaks for itself. We just, you know, we, we played about seven guys, uh, no more than eight usually in terms of just, you know, significant minutes. And we were just really in sync. Jesse Sapp was off the ball with yep. you know J- John Wallace at the point guard. Jesse was a New York City. New York City kid who was tough, made plays, uh, had the flash, the sizzle, had the skill level. was tough, as I mentioned before. And then Dewan Summers, who also played in the NBA for three seasons uh, from Baltimore. Tough kid who came in as a freshman, was able to make shots for us. Give us some size and versatility on the perimeter to defend and guard players on the inside. We just, quite frankly, we got off to a slower start. We weren't great early in the season. And then we really got hot, you know, midway through conference play and won the Big East tournament, won the Big East regular season, and uh, had a bloodbath in the second round of the tournament against Boston College (laughs) with one of Al Skinner's great great teams, you know, with Jared Dudley and... Um, you know, uh, what's little dude who's still playing Tyrese? Tyrese Ty. Rice, right? Tyrese, he's incredible, right. He was an incredible college player. He's still playing professionally, making a lot of money. And then you turn that, we had a great game against Vanderbilt in the Sweet 16 where we won with the second on the clock. And then you beat North Carolina and they lead Eight. And we just gelled at the right time and we had great leadership, like I said. And the team, the balance of the team, and the toughness really showed.
0: I know we're looking at we're looking at your season now. So wait, was that not the season that? Yeah, it was. JJ Reddick gave you forty one, didn't he?
1: No, that was that was the year before. So that was the Sweet Sixteen year. That was oh five oh six. Ah. I wasn't on staff then. Ah. They had to hire they had to hire me to get over the hump. Yeah, 06, I get it. I get that, it. Yeah, that oh six oh seven team. Um, you know, we had a bad loss. I wouldn't say bad because ODU was really good, mid major. Yeah, but we lost early in the season at home to ODU. Oh so. yeah. And we went to the Final Four, and we won the Big East regular and tournament. So it's a long season, and we're kind of seeing that with our team at USC right now. We've had a couple of speed bumps, um, but we are playing well. And um, it's a long season. You have to develop. Player development can't go away once December hits. Uh, You know, your basic defensive principles and practicing those things, those
0: can't disappear in December. You have to maintain that and just focus on getting better, so. Yeah, you guys are you guys are certainly doing that. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I know we briefly talked about this, but um, you know, after Georgetown, you have a, a brief stint at Princeton, and and you guys are are really successful. You went to the tournament your second
2: year. Yeah. So I was at Princeton for two years. Yeah. Um, had an, had another team uh, worked for Sydney Johnson
1: at Princeton. Had it, you know, the, the common theme with the, the great teams I've been lucky to coach is that we fed upperclassmen we've had darn good leadership and at princeton my first year we we finished second in the league our two losses were to that incredible cornell team coached by steve donahue that went to sweet 16 yep. we lost to them by less I, I think it was i i think it was three points each game you know we lost to them twice there's no conference tournament we finished second went to the cbi and had a fun run in the cbi and uh took that team the next year and went 25 and 7 at princeton uh, we had great leadership. We had uh, several guys who continue to play professionally to this day, albeit not in the NBA, but in Europe, abroad. And um, had a great road win at Tulsa midway through the year, uh, heading into conference play. Had a speed bump at Harvard where we lost, you know, late in conference play, lost to Harvard, but then came back and then beat them at the buzzer to go to the tournament. Doug Davis made an. Incredible off-balance shot for the win at Yale over Harvard in the conference championship game. And then, you know, as that season progressed, we took that win and took Kentucky in their final four team with Brandon Knight. And Terrence Jones and Doran Lamb lost to them at the buzzer. Brandon Wright, who we forced left the entire game, last play of the game, he went right (laughs) and he scored. So, (laughs) you know, he was playing poorly going left, but the last play, great players make plays and he was... He made a tough off balance shot to beat us, but that was a fun team as well. And it starts with the leadership. And when you're at Princeton, you obviously get in the door recruiting with every family in the in America. It really doesn't matter who, yeah, because because you're Princeton. So you can you know you can be selective. And we had great kids, well rounded, tough, talented, and really smart. It was a fun fun place to work and to uh, coach at.
2: No, that's that's really cool. And, and obviously both of those teams. See, Georgetown, Princeton, all those teams being East Coast schools. Now, um, being at USC, being on the West Coast, something that I think we've talked about a little bit. Um, obviously, West Coast teams, the casual fan, obviously won't see as much. Obviously, ESPN, we kind of see in the media, almost somewhat of a East Coast bias, a media bias, fan bias. Now, being on the opposite side of that, do you see that at all? Do you think that there is almost a a, a bias in the public, Um, Towards the East Coast teams, just because they're they're seen more, or or do you think it is still a pretty level playing field in in terms of uh, fans' eyes and the media's eyes? Yeah, so
1: that's a great question, and and I have to say, I don't feel biased answering that because you know I'm a I'm a Maryland kid, DC area. I grew up watching ACC basketball. For some reason, I was a Wake Forest fan growing up when I was younger. (laughs) But, you know, I watched a lot of basketball, and then, you know, as a transplant to the West Coast, when I went from Fairfield to USC, um, you know, when you scout these games, we play pros every night, it seems like. And yeah. there's great basketball in the Pac-12, and, and you just, you, you really don't feel like the entire world sees it. But then you see Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Derek Wright at Colorado was a first-round pick last year, TJ Leaf you know, there's so much talent year in and year out in the Pac-12, and it's a fun style of play, there's great teams, there's great coaches, I mean, Larry Kristoviak at Utah, who we were, who we just played this past weekend, you know, he's got guys in the league, Yeah, Uh, Delon Delon Wright, Kyle Kuzma, yeah, Kyle, Kyle Kuzma is taking over Los Angeles, I mean, there's talent at Utah, Colorado, Derek, Derek White is a, in the NBA, he plays for the Spurs. Tad Boyle has had them at having their best stretch of basketball in school history. Uh, Oregon, Dana Altman has go to the tournament, what, 17 straight years as yep. a head coach. Um, Crazy. Wayne Tinkle got Oregon State to the tournament my first year here, fifteen sixteen, and they have a really good team this year. The Pac-12 is really good. I-, I do feel as though there's not enough attention, and when you play late night, you don't get as many eyes. Um it's just—it's kind of hard to to navigate that, and we do play—we do play good schedules in the non-conference, and it's just one of those things you have to deal with. And I do feel like when people watch the Pac-12, they come in with a perceived notion about the league, and in terms of its "quote unquote" soft, fast style of play, but it's loaded with talent. I hate scouting in this league. You go into every yeah, game. It suck. You go. You know, you go into every game and you're like, "Oh my goodness, where, where's the weak links in these teams? It's, it's hard to find."
0: Now, let me ask you this. Is there a perceived bias from West Coast people that they'll try and ignore East Coast teams on purpose or like or is it or is it kind of believed like regardless we know the Pac-12 is good or the Pac-16, whatever the hell you guys are called. You know, we know that we know that we're this good. We don't care what people report or is it I mean, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I don't. It's hard to navigate, right? Because you don't want to be media obsessed. Yeah, yeah. You've, but yeah. that's you know that's more of something I think that the league offices have to be cognizant of. You know, we scheduled tough this year, and and unfortunately, um, you know, we we've had a, a wide array of things happen this year, among injuries, and you know, stuff dealing with our investigation and those things. But you know, we played Texas A and M, we played SMU, we played Oklahoma. Uh, We went to Vanderbilt, you know, so that's two road games and a neutral against high major schools. And, you know, we we try to schedule hard, and and teams do that. Arizona plays great teams. UCLA, you know, uh, by the way, we just talked about the Pac 12. I didn't mention UCLA and Arizona. (laughs) I know, I know. Seriously. Which are two historical programs. No, I know. No, I mean, they're pros, pros and and great teams. And and the league schedule's tough. You know, we're very cognizant of, of what we need to do RPI wise in terms of scheduling. When you don't get as many eyes on you, um, it's just tougher. And, and, and that's, and, and with the fast style of play with the talent, like I don't, I don't view our league as a soft league. When you go and play Utah, Oregon state, Arizona,
0: those are physical brands of basketball with talent on the court. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and I get, we're not the big 10 in terms of the physicality
1: and the, the low scoring games, uh, sprinkled in. Um, but. But it's a really good league. I wish we got more respect. We have nine top 100 teams right now. Um, Stanford, who we lost to a couple weeks ago on like a three-quarter court shot, yep, they've been hurt most of the year. And now they've beaten us and UCLA at home last week. And they're on a roll. They're, I think they've won four straight.
2: So, yeah, four straight. Uh, and they're, and they're doing well. Four, and, four, four and one in the conference, yeah.
1: Right. And they have three really good seniors. They have really good freshmen. Reed Travis is... A, Tremendous Pac-12 player, Michael Humphreys really good as a senior, and Dorian Pickens makes shots from everywhere as a senior. So you know, it's uh, I-, I don't know what the answer is, but you know, if you guys are asking that question, then you guys know too. There's like this perceived idea about the Pac-12,
0: which I fully don't agree with. It's a Yeah, I don't, I don't game. agree with it either. I also think the Big Ten's a little overhyped in that like. <laughs> I think the ACC kind of gotten branded similar to Pac-12, where it's like they're kind of fast and like good guards, shooters, like they don't really bang, and that's as physical as a conference as you're going to get. And it kind of seems like the Big Ten is just – it's always just said. The Big Ten is always just said to be physical and big and slow. Now, now, certainly there are teams that perennial, like every year, are like that, but then there are teams that aren't. So I think we just kind of like fall into this – uh, belief about conferences, no matter what it is, year in and year out, we're just like, oh yeah, that's that's what the Pac-12 is. So, well,
1: yeah, and what, why, and you know, it's funny to me. Basketball is a finesse game, so like, I don't know where it came. You know, I get the old school people who say, man, you know, basketball's not as physical as it used to. But you know, neither is the NBA. You know, like yeah, exactly. Basketball. Who says basketball has to be a rock fight? And why is that determined to be like the basis for what good basketball is? You know, and that's where.
0: I think there's a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I, I think that's just like that. It's always going to be like that. Like when we're old and that whatever basketball is going to be in 35 years, we're probably going to say the same thing. Like, man, I wish there was more ball screens in basketball and not enough of these pinned right. – you know what I mean? Like I feel like that's just how it goes. But, yeah, no, I agree with you. And,
1: um, a, and when there's a four point shot in 20 years, we to be like, man, we only had the three. I yeah. would have scored 3,000
0: points. <laughs> exactly. In exactly. If had the four pointer. Yep. The older you get, the better you are, man. That's, that's no the No question. That's the story. Um,. Last question, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, you've been at some pretty, obviously, ridiculous basketball prestige-wise schools, but unbelievable academics, you know, with Georgetown, Princeton, Fairfield, USC. I mean, those are not easy schools to get into. Um, how has that made – how has that affected, like, your recruiting and your background as a coach? Do you Do you like that you've been at the same type of school? I think, obviously, Princeton being the best, but – you know yeah. do you like that you've been recruiting not the same type of player but you're kind of in the same conversation like you know when you're at Princeton I know that you mentioned you were, you can recruit any kid but you you're also limited because you know you'd have to look the first thing that any Ivy League coach has to look at is their grades and their scores and if they don't have it it's basically see you later No for
1: sure well yeah and Princeton is a special place and when you talk about Ivy League you also don't have scholarships so yeah, you have that the grades the grades thing and then you're going to you know, unless it's full, if the family's fully need-based, yeah, where they could go for free. You know, the family's probably gonna have to pay a little bit to attend college. Uh, for me, it's been a joy to work at all these schools, and because you don't have to sacrifice any sort of values or anything in recruiting or in coaching. You know, you can get good kids. Uh, you know, big picture families, um, and that's single and dual parent households you know i think it's you can get great families you can get kids who are well raised and um see the bigger picture of life because they they value the degree that the 40-year commitment as they say not just a four-year commitment you're talking about a commitment to life once you have a usc diploma a georgetown diploma um and that's what makes it enjoyable you know you just know you can recruit good people to your school and you don't have to sacrifice any of your values and if you go just down the line I've been really lucky to work at different levels of Division One, but high academic. And, you know, at Georgetown and USC, you're recruiting at a higher level, for the most part, uh, than Princeton and Fairfield. Um, but, you know, there's similar values. You're just selling your school's um, education and experience to different caliber players. And so it's kind of been a fluid transition from school to school, albeit with different types of talent you still are selling the same positive experiences that a you know high academic institution can provide
0: yeah no absolutely i think that's perfect i'm jealous um i still gotta i still gotta come visit you out there man and um you know i know you guys play oregon on thursday there's 12 games left in the conference regular season if you can believe that that's going to be uh done before you can yeah it's incredible um but, hey, listen, Coach, I really appreciate you coming on, man. This was fun. Um, we'll definitely have you on again uh, maybe towards the end of the season and, and check in after you guys go on a 12-0 and 0 run and, and you're number one in the country. Um, so we look forward to that. Um, but, yeah, good luck this week, and, uh, you know, we'll be in touch soon.
1: Thanks for having me on. You guys do a ter- tremendous job with your podcast. And-
0: you haven't the- listened. <laughs> Would you stop lying? You haven't listened to one episode. You- I read, well,
1: I, read, I read the one review on iTunes. Sorry. <laughs> there
0: we go. <laughs> yeah, we had to pay for that. <laughs>
1: there you go. All, All right, right Coach Martin. Fellow appreciate we'll talk it, man. Soon, maybe, maybe towards
0: tournament time. Thanks. All right, see you. Big shout out to Coach Marty Bahar from USC. Um, really appreciate you coming on, man. That was big time. Um, yeah great finally catch it up it 's been a couple couple weeks since you and I last spoke, so appreciate it. Um, all right, next thing we want to talk about is Sylvia de Souza is ready to go
2: um, and we talked about it with uh, with Adam Finglestein last week just about the tra- not the transfer epidemic the reclassification. Epidemic And it is (laughs) Like the flu It is an epidemic It's something I don't know if anyone Really saw coming All these guys Just like Switched their classes But um, The one thing I think Kansas Has needed needed This entire season Is some bigger bodies Some more depth They need it better And this is a uh, A big body That provides them An extra guy They can put in the rotation So He's cleared to play, he play, uh, as we speak, they're gearing up in about 30 minutes to play uh, West Virginia, so who knows, will he have an impact today, or even how much of an impact he'll have going forward, but it shows, I mean, the landscape of college basketball now, in as quickly as, like, a snap of fingers, Bill Self just went and, like, grabbed him a player straight out of high school from, like, IMG Academy, and now is able to have him... uh, Right for like the Big Twelve stretch where they it's need. It's pretty
0: ridiculous when you really think about it. Like you can just get a player, and I don't At know any yet. point of the year you can just get one. And I mean, I know I'm I know I'm I'm speaking in yeah. hyperbole. It's of course you can't just do that, but it is kind of ridiculous. Like middle of the year, you just got a high schooler. Like how? Like good for you. That's great, I guess. But like. It's wild.
2: Can Whether- you imagine, like, so with the Bagley situation? Obviously, that happened right before the season. Can you imagine if Duke, right now, if they're like, "Hey, um, we're down. We're low on bodies." When, like, say there's no, there's no Marvin Bagley. We're down on bodies. Uh, really, Javin Deloria is hurt. Um, Wendell Carter is like the only real big we have. Like, hey, what if we got Marvin Bagley to come mid-season, hop into ACC play? Because, just- like, obviously, Silvio De Sousa, ESPN, he's ranked twenty. He's ranked twenty-eighth in the class. He's a talented kid. But, like, just to hop right into uh, into Big 12 play and your first game eligible is at West Virginia in Morgantown. Um, It's wild that this is kind of where we've gotten to in college basketball, but who knows how far it will go. Um, Speaking on that same uh, same level about – Kids ending up at, at schools where we did not see it coming. Um, yeah. Brian Bowen. Um, most people, if you, you don't know that name, you've probably been living under a rock because it was the kid uh, basically in the F- FBI indictment with Louisville that accepted, basically had $100,000 given allegedly. to him. Allegedly. allegedly. Yeah, we'll put the allegedly button on that. $100,000 given to him from the Louisville coaching staff um, to commit to Louisville, to enroll at Louisville. Um, who I don't think anyone wanted to touch. I don't think anyone no. – no one really saw, like, like, all right, this kid's just going to ride out the year. He's going to declare for the draft or go play overseas, and that'll be that. Um, but Frank Martin hopped in the mix. Um, he has an assistant that uh, recruited him before at Indiana, had the connection to the kid, and I guess their compliance department was uh, probably working 24-hour shifts to uh, to scratch the record clean. But he is at South Carolina and he's practicing. And they're adamant <laughs> and Frank Martin's like adamant that this is. kid is going to be a part of our program. He's gonna practice like a north like there's no ifs, ands, or buts, the past of the past. He's a part of our team. I I, I struggle to even
0: not defend, because we're not defending them. I just no. struggle to even explain. The NCAA at any point in time, in any decision that they make, good or bad, even like a decision that like people agree with, we're like, wait a minute, they made the right decision? How did that happen? Because then it's like, how do you not make the right decision every time? I, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about it. They, it's wild, I, I just, they're, they're so but the crazy
2: thing is that obviously we talked about Zion Williamson last week with, with Fink as well, and um, that obviously South Carolina kid, the recruiting coming down to the wire. Well, now South Carolina is pitching to Zion Williamson. Hey, we're going to have Brian Bowen, this like McDonald's All-Man. American, it's going to play with you next year. This is going to be your guys's team, and I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, when you type in his name on ESPN or on Google and you look it up, it says there's no need to fear for South Carolina fans. Brian Bowen, um, just the opposite. So I guess they they feel great. They think he's going to be eligible midway through next season, so we'll sit out basically um, until probably until the end of the non-conference slate um and then um they'll be he'll be ready to go um yeah it's but,
0: yeah uh, but it, it, it is what it is like Fink like finkelstein said in episode 10 whether it's good or bad for basketball you know kind of like the recent classification to all this stuff it, it it is what it
2: is it's where we're at yeah so the last thing i will touch on that it is great especially south carolina of all the teams that one of the few handful of teams that was mentioned in the indictment for them to, to take on a kid. Yeah, another kid is, that was mentioned. I mean, the, it shows they have to be pretty confident that they'll, they, they won't they will take a hit from this or they'll be clear and that he'll be able to play. But um, look at, uh, I mean, South Carolina, they just came from Final Four. They're having a little bit down year. And then that, hopefully maybe they'll have some, some talent next year. Um, yeah. Moving on to a subject that we talked about, for, I think our first episode, very first episode, we yep. talked about um, Josh Pastner, Georgia Tech head coach. Um, who um, has just filed a civil suit in Superior Court in the state of Arizona? You gotta read, we gotta read this out loud. It's unbelievable. Go for so, it.
0: So, he files a civil suit in, in the state of Arizona alleging defamation, intentional infliction of emotional distress, civil conspiracy, that one's crazy, aiding and abetting and injurious falsehoods against Ron Bell and Jennifer Pendley.
2: And this Ron Bell, his like best friend, or his, little, his best guy. That's just a
0: mouthful. Like, how you, the fact, I mean, that's America. You can do, you can sue anybody for anything. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the latest. Like, you're not, you're not gonna just be, like, this, like, weird guy that hangs around a program and then, like, decides that you got... I mean, we don't even know. It's it's weird. I it, it I feel weird, weird talking about it because I don't know what happened, and no one really does. But like, you, you're just gonna feel um, slighted about a program, and then you're gonna basically just talk shit about your friend, try yep. and air him out. Um, and now this guy's gonna and come he's and gonna gonna get fight you. back. Yeah, yeah he's and, gonna come
2: and get you. And so obviously, I mean, if obviously everything we've said it was allegedly with Josh Pastner. If stuff did go down he at least either has either nothing went down or he fully has his bases covered because Josh Pastner is the one that's taken Ron Bell to court. So yeah. like he's getting all these other parties involved. If there was stuff there, obviously you just let it pass. I think mean, we'd forgotten kind of about this. I mean, yeah, everyone, I have, I have a, in the back of my mind, it's like, Oh, Josh Pastner. Like, I don't fully think of him as a, a clean guy because this came out, but I'd forgotten all about Ron Bell's all about name, it. all this stuff. And, but now I mean, he's going to fight it in court and uh, I mean, we'll see where it plays out. Um, it's going to be very, very, very interesting to see where that goes. Um, last segment before we get into our bottom 25, the the much-anticipated bottom 25 that everyone looks for, <laughs> um, a quote that caught me off guard. Um, you didn't even know no, about that happened because I don't think that many people did. Yeah, um, kind of went unnoticed. It's kind of crazy. Uh, Jeff Borzello tweeted this out. I want to say, um, let's see. It was after their one of their most recent games. Um, John Calipari... Um, this was January 9th. Um, so, coming off a window, he said, John Calipari asked the assembled media if they could name a Kentucky player who consistently catches the ball when and where he needs to. Only one person answered, Calipari, dropped this gem. The rest of you are quiet because you don't know shit. Woo! <laughs> I love
0: it. I, I love, love it. I love it so much. I absolutely love it. All these... Fucking people who have never played basketball, never played in a rec league, never coached in high school, never coached an AAU team, never coached in college, never coached in the NBA, never done anything but write. Just write. And I get that that's a profession. I understand. You're a I'm journalist. I'm not trying
2: to knock them for No, but, yeah, that's all
0: good. Be but, a journalist. But there is a time and a place for, like, certain type of questions that you ask. And I don't even know the question. No, I not But I, I certainly know the general vibe that people give. And, like, yo, this is John Calipari. And I, I don't, I'm like, I don't know. I've never met Coach Calipari. You, neither of you, and we probably nah, never. Have actually,
2: you? no, I have because he's a big crossover oh guy. God. Shout out to oh, Coach, so coach, coach Alright, So shout out to um, crossover.
0: But it's not like we've spent. We don't know the guy. Like we, we know what we no, read yeah, and, 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 all and all that, that. and and cool. certainly he um, he's done his, his due diligence to paint himself a certain type of way. Yeah. Um, it, it's but wild, like, it's, it's that's all different. That's all different than you guys don't know the game. So, like, don't ask questions about the game that, like, are going to, like, piss off a... Co- you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a different type of question. Exactly. For you to say, like, hey, he didn't look like he was
2: playing hard. Okay. That's yeah. different. Not like, hey, why did you run four down the whole... You know what I'm saying? Like... Not to turn this back to Virginia, but I was Dude. watching the Virginia press conference after they beat NC State last night, and I was literally laughing. I was sitting in the airport, and I was laughing because the question was asked, and they asked, like, Devin Hall... Uh, it was Devin Hall got hot? Had a career high twenty five points. The reporter asked me like, Devin, so we're watching you. are One of the first guys out there in warm ups, and we notice you like to to make it looks like five five shots from each spot on the court around the hoop. <laughs> and then and then does that when you hit those? Does that make you feel like you're gonna be hot for the game? It was something oh. it did like that. And he was like, That's Yeah, he goes, I, I he goes, I do spot shooting, five spots, I make five, and I end with five in a row. I was like, But that doesn't like. He goes no, no like he goes. I do that. He goes, exactly. He goes. That's my routine. That's my routine in practice. That's my routine before games. He goes. If I'm not feeling as confident in myself, that's in practice, and I get more shots up after practice. But like the fact, like I, yeah, you just maybe like, don't it's, even maybe know. we take it for granted because we've been around basketball for that long. And you realize like that's just nature. But I think some of these reporters are like, oh, this guy was in layup lines and he hit a deep NBA range three. That that must have propelled him to go for a triple double tonight. Like, yeah. I trust me when we say that. like. I think these guys just get these just notions where they think just this weird. is what it goes down. It's that basic, but it, it really isn't. And so um I think you it not to knock a reporter for, for doing their job, but don't dive into specifics and try and speculate. Yeah. Because am shout to Coach Cal for for knocking him right back uh <laughs> you don't know knocking right shit. back at him. But finally awesome. to end things to wrap things up, um, the much anticipated bottom twenty-five. Um, oh, one last thing. I didn't even mention this to you before we get into that. Um, I had knocked James Madison before for knocking at the bottom 25 because they had a couple bu- uh, close losses. Yeah. Some, some of the most brutal losses I've seen, um, I have to give a shout-out because it connects in two ways. You don't even know it's coming at you. So JMU was playing William & Mary. Uh, 3.30 left on the road, had a 13-point lead. They blew that 13-point lead, lost in overtime by 7.00. Um, because of our man Connor Birchfield, one of the original Greenlight players of the week, OG, um, OG. doing his part of keeping James Mass involved in this podcast and trying to knock them to the bottom twenty-five, just because they've had four or five of those brutal losses um, I've seen in recent memory. Um, but to get into it, staying, um, staying. I guess they were number were they number one. Well, we one?
0: have we have only one team left that it's is defeated. defeated. Only one team. Straight and out remains, of the swack. Yeah, remains to be Mississippi Valley State at 0-17. Yeah. 0-17.
2: Yeah. yeah, pretty brutal. Um, the, but, de- the Delta Devils, they're tough. But we have to give a shout to a team that they're still sitting at third in the bottom 25, yeah. but got their first win uh, this past Monday. Uh, the Coppin State Eagles out Ooh. of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, coached by an absolute legend who I, I despised when he was in college. But um, won a national title. Juan Dixon is the head coach at Coppin Juan State. Juan Dixon, uh, baby. So got his first first win in a double overtime thriller at home against Florida A and M, seventy nine to seventy eight. So um, got themselves out of that de- out of that defeated category. They're at number three sitting right now. Um, looking back, tough one to see right now. That's sitting at one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh is Chicago State, yes. who our man Fred Sims, a Greenlight yep. Player of the Week award winner once again. Um, I mean, he's still doing his thing. He's going like, let's see, 24, 23, 34, 31 points. Um, yep. Chicago State's not able to keep up. Um, looking at the rest, any... Uh, Unfortunately,
0: any I have two uh, colleagues in the bottom 25. Anthony Notar, a uh, an AWL uh at Bryant is in it and coach Cremins at USC Upstate who I saw play NJIT the other weekend oh, nice. in a thriller okay. um in Newark, New Jersey. So um, I unfortunately we know too many people in this bottom 25.
2: Maine Maine snuck in there. Oh, Maine too. Maine's oh. at, Maine's just barely at 24 right now. Um it's and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. There's some teams. The teams look on the door. We haven't seen. Kennesaw State, we yes, mentioned before. Yes, let them get in there, baby. They're, uh, they're a couple spots away. The one that is scary to see is all these teams, you look at them, they're mostly just bottom-tier conferences. There is a team, though, that's scratching the door. They're 7-10, and 10, but East Carolina, out of the American – probably the best conference you see of all this and south florida even south florida is getting a little bit too close for comfort but east carolina is seven and ten south florida Um, my goodness they beat south florida and they've beaten a couple um they've beaten some d1 teams but they're sitting right now uh, just a few spots out so the american it's not not a good look for you guys get your, your bottom teams up um but that is uh that's a wrap for uh for this episode um, episode obviously, twelve. Episode twelve. Um, keeping this thing rolling, having a, a great time doing it. Um, hopefully, bringing you guys some some more big time guests because it has been awesome to talk to some of these guys recently. Right now, as we finish things out, Duke and Miami are 66 sixty-six, sixty-six as uh, Trayvon Duvall puts puts Duke up. They were just down fifteen. This so it's unbelievable. So we are gonna we're gonna log off here, watch the end of this Duke game as they slap the floor. Uh, we will be at, back at you guys next week um, for some more Kyle Troops talk. Keep the ball bouncing, deuces. Lately I've been
0: feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss, then tell me what you are working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. slus plus Russell's up next, and I got this crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is, come on.